Help to sing our Maker's praises indeed. Help to chant Emmanuel's praise indeed. What a pleasure to be with you, my dear friends, and spend a few short minutes in the Word with you today. Here's a question for you. How many of you know what Billy Bass is? Raise your hand if you know about Billy Bass. I bet if I describe it, you'll say, oh, I know what that is. Billy Bass is a rubber fish. Now, okay, now you remember. And he's mounted on a, on a wooden board as though it was like a stuffed taxidermied, you know, trophy catch. And it, it hangs around the wall, but it's animatronic. Do you know that cool word? It's like a mechanical thing. It's like the, the mice at Chuck E. Cheese. And there's a motion sensor inside of Billy to prank your friends. It, the first time I saw one, I jumped about a foot. When you pass near enough to that motion sensor, Billy's tail will start wagging right off his, right off his, you know, you think he's dead, and here's this fish seems still very much alive. The tail's wagging. And then, you know, as like he's looking forward, frozen on his board. But then when you come by, he like turns his head towards you and drops his jaw. And he starts singing Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's the it's really funky. And, and they sold about a million of them. And I hope Bobby McFerrin got some royalties out of it too to kind of pad him a little bit. Well, I'm not going to annoy you with tales of rubber fish today, but the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, was kind of on my mind. And I said, I wonder what Bobby thinks is the reason why you don't have to worry. So I dug around online and found the full set of lyrics. Now, I'm sure that if you and I were sitting in a tiki bar in Key West, we would hear that music come on, or maybe the band was doing it, or some karaoke guy was singing it. And we'd think, that, you know, what a great song. Don't worry, be happy. What a good phrase to have while you're having a beer, and the saltwater breeze is coming in, and there's all these bright colors from the Caribbean, and you don't have a worry in the world. It's like appropriate for that kind of setting. But what if your heart is full of worries? What reason does Bobby McFerrin give you not to worry anymore. And I looked in vain for anything in the lyrics. It's just like a repeated phrase over and over. Uh, you can look it up yourself, fact check me later, and see if you can find anything really significant in there. But he doesn't give you any reason not to worry. He's right, but he doesn't give you a reason. But Jesus does. And I want to dig into Scripture today so that Jesus can help you answer Billy Bass's wonderful advice. But why? To tell you why you don't have to have troubled hearts. I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 14. We are here in the upper room once again. Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples in that gloomy, dark room. They didn't have electric lights. There were no gas lights either. These were oil lamps. And probably, even if you had a dozen of them lit around the room, it would have been very, you would have thought, man, is it dark in here? It's almost like candle, a room lit by candlelight. It also was the end of the day. It got late. Jesus went on and on with his teachings. I'm sure they were getting sleepy. I'm sure also they did not like anything they were hearing or seeing. Their heads were flipped upside down and turned inside out. Jesus just messed with them. He gave them as much as they could handle, and, and they just could not mentally keep up. I barely can mentally keep up, and I've, like, I've seen the outcome of all of this. They were in the middle of it and were just bewildered. Chapter 13, which went right before this, just as in a little example, Jesus dropped three very strange 
things on them to mess with their mind. First, he kneels down, says, take your sandals off, and he washes their feet. And they're all thinking, this, I am so uncomfortable. This is not how we do things in society. This is not how a leader portrays himself or represents himself. Leaders aren't supposed to act like this. You're supposed to go first in line. The leader is supposed to have the best clothes. And the leader is supposed to be the one in the sedan chair, and we carry you. The leader is supposed to be the one who gives the orders. The leader is supposed to be the most famous and has the coolest clothes. Instead, you're looking like a servant. That was nothing like what they expected. Certainly the priests, which had their pecking order, did nothing of the sort. But Jesus said, I want you to lead like this. I want you to see yourself primarily as servants in leadership. And everyone who's ever served in the church, whether as a lay leader or a teaching or pastoral leader, have got to drink deep of that scripture and internalize Jesus' servant heart and servant posture. Second, they celebrate the Passover, as always. That wasn't too shocking. But then right after it, he staples on a PS. Oh, by the way, pass the bread around once again. This is my body. And then he passes a cup around and says, I want each of you to take a sip from this one cup. This is my blood poured out for you. And I go, what? They had never seen such a thing. In fact, that may have been the only time I'm aware of, at least in Christian history, where the Passover and communion were celebrated one right on top of the other. This is odd. Because if you want to have a bright dividing line between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Moses and Christ, uh, that line's a little fuzzy. But if you want to draw it right here and have a sharp, bright line, this would be as good a place as any to do it. The last time that Christians were mandated to have Passover and the very first time that Christ gave himself. So now the disciples experience the rest of this evening with a belly full of Jesus in his body and blood, physically now one at one with him. And they, of course, could not process it all at the moment. But later on, can you imagine the buzz that it gave them to know that they were on their way to their difficult ministries, knowing that Christ had not abandoned them? But in the supper, he was with them, bodily with them, as well as spiritually with them. Then, as if that wasn't enough, he said, one of you is going to sell me out. One of you is going to deny ever having heard of me. And the rest of you, all of you, are going to abandon me. So now, when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, they were in a deep hole. First, they're sad because of all this sad talk of, of his being handed over to the Gentiles and abused, hung up, and that he was going to be sacrificed to death. Like, so morbid. They, did, they wanted to run. Run! Run away! Get out of here! They, they were so uncomfortable. They were like cats on a hot tin roof. Let us get out of Jerusalem. They hate you here, Jesus. Let's get out of here. Something ugly is going to happen. They didn't want to accept the fact that Jesus walked into it, not that he was too dumb to escape it. So they're sad. Secondly, they're ashamed to be told all your proud bragging about your loyalty to me is going to go down the drain as fast as when you pull the plug after washing your hands in the bathroom sink. That's going to be their courage. It's going to go right down the drain. And you're going to run, run away from me. How embarrassing. And even deny and sell him. Is it I? I'm going to do that? What? 
So their heads just spinning like this. Third, the prophecies of how hard it was going to be to be leaders and Christians in the next world. They were thinking they wanted a world where everything was going to get easier and better and more comfortable with the boss right here. Take food, for instance. Man, we've watched this guy be a food machine. Twice we've seen him manufacture food to feed a multitude, thousands of people. We Israelites, we Jews, are never going to go hungry again. There will never be a crop failure ever again. We've watched him do it. Our lives are going to get so much better. No more food shortages. They watched him manufacture money in a fish's mouth. Did you know that's in the New Testament? Yes? Did you know that story? If not, go find it and have a blast today. He's a mint. He can make gold coins out of nothing. They watched him knock the temple police back on their keisters. He's got the power to drive the Romans out of Israel. We'll be independent again. That's why they were always fighting over position, like rank, because they were jockeying for positions in his new administration. And then he's talking about how hard it's going to be. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to kick you out of the synagogues. You'll be harassed and hounded and arrested, beaten, and some of you will be killed. What? What good is it being a Christian if your life gets worse instead of better? This makes no sense. So their heads were spinning up there. And in their fatigue and confusion, they thought, we thought we understood what was going on, but this is, sounds like no fun. Why be a Christian if your life doesn't get better? Why be a Christian if your life gets harder? If Satan goes after you even harder and you're going to let him. Why is that? Why are you letting us struggle? Jesus said, no, don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. What? And then on top of all of that, he wasn't acting much like any kind of Messiah they had described to them when they were in synagogue school when they were little boys. We want King David part two. We want another Solomon, rich, powerful, and independent. All this meekness and humility stuff and this sacrifice stuff, they were just so confused. They they needed an extra boost of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit wouldn't come until Jesus had left. That's why Jesus wanted him to know ascension is not abandonment. My leaving you is actually better for you than sticking around here. For one, my earthly work is done. Secondly, I'm going to my place to be crowned supreme Lord of the universe, but I'm also going to prepare a place for you. So he'll be governing all the time. He'll be present through his word, through the washing of water by which we are buried with Christ. He'll be with us through the sacrament of Holy Communion. But sending the Spirit was necessary to get them out of this funk that they were in. Confusion, fear, and feeling like their cheese got moved. And they suddenly had found themselves signed up into a movement that was going someplace they didn't want to go. Does any of that feel a little familiar to you? Do you ever wonder why God lets you struggle so much? I got two ideas for you. One is quit whining. We broke this world. It isn't God's fault. He didn't break it. You and I broke it. And all the rest of the foolish sinners who thought they could do better than God, who were sick of being having him as their boss and wanted to go their own way. Everything you hate about the world you're stuck in is human wreckage. It's not God's wreckage. 
If you want to know why the world is so broken, why there's idiots driving 80 miles an hour down city streets, why people are carjacking people, putting guns to their heads and stealing their cars, joyriding them and then smashing them up. You want to look in the mirror. You and I are all part of this conspiracy to throw God out of our lives and be in complete control by ourselves. What the things you hate about the world you're stuck living in are all because of human desire to do it their way. And man, have we done a terrible job of it. Isn't it so? And so God needs to give you a snootful of it so that you don't fall in love with it or fall prey to the temptation that this is, after all, this is going to be a paradise and he, that you become a utopian. You know, you know anything about the American utopians in the 1900s? And in the 18, actually farther back, 19th century, 1800s. They thought they were going to build a perfect community, lasted for not even a generation and disintegrated for all the reasons you could guess. Greed, control obsession, bossy leaders, people losing interest, drifting in and out, and finally people looting the common treasury. Doesn't that sound like same old, same old? There's never going to be a heaven on this earth. And see, here's God's dilemma. I've talked to you many times about paradoxes of Christendom. Here's one of God's paradoxes. I love my children. I want to give them stuff. But the more I give them, the less they talk to me. My own life is a perfect illustration of that. The more comfortable I am, the less I talk to God, and the more I start to succumb to the fantasy that I did this all myself. And I think that's why God lets me sweat and struggle occasionally so that I remember, I need you. Can't do this by myself. Secondly, to break our addiction to this place, to the things, to the stuff, to money and its comforts and pleasures. It's addictive, isn't it? Lot's wife got addicted to it. You get addicted to it. And we're afraid of letting go because... It's the unknown. We don't know what's coming next. We're scared of the new experience. When I was 13, my parents made me go to the, our church's youth group's bowling night. Doesn't that sound like an, a nice idea and a good time? Doesn't it? I was terrified. I had never been bowling. At 13, I would be probably the youngest guy there or one of the youngest people there. So I knew the older teenagers would look at me with a sneer on their lips and maybe laugh at my feeble attempts. I had never held a bowling ball. They just said, you ought to go. You'll have fun. Yeah, fat chance. I was miserable. That ball was way heavier than I thought it was going to be, and I had no idea how to fling it down the lane and actually still not and make it and not be in the gutter. It was a ridiculous night. It was like learning how to swim by being pushed off the pier. Start swimming. Start moving your arms when you feel the water past your nose. Well, that's one way to learn how to swim, isn't it? Sheer panic. I enjoy bowling now, but that first time was miserable because I was afraid of the unknown. You're a little scared of dying too, aren't you? Because you don't know quite what you're getting into. And I'll tell you what, you are not just coming back to this same world. In fact, you heard me read in that Thessalonians passage, you're going to be lifted up off the ground. And I think the reason why God's doing that is because he's going to be remaking 
He's going to incinerate and remake everything on this earth. It has to be purified, like all the bugs and germs and evil bacteria and viruses have to be burnt out of it. And all of Satan's evil slime has to be like sizzled so that this world is like sterilized. And then he will reassemble it and you and I will be set back gently down and experience a new paradise. It's going to be a new world. As Jesus came to our disease and war and sickness infested world, he came to our world so that he could pull us out of here. And that's what he wanted the disciples to know. Here is why you don't have to worry, why you can be happy. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Don't let your fears and what your lying eyes are seeing distrust me. I got this. This is the plan. You're watching the plan unfold. I will win by losing. I bring life by dying. I will bring you holiness and forgiveness to place upon you by myself being turned into the worst sinner the world has ever seen. These paradoxes look horrible, but this is the pathway. My father's house are many good rooms. Sorry, I said, I was thinking of that spiritual Plenty good room in my Father's kingdom. You ever hear James Cleveland sing, plenty good room in my Father's kingdom? If it were not so, I would have told you. But it is so, and I'm telling you, this is his point. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So that's what Jesus is doing now. He and the Spirit and the Father are busy at work planning out a splendid, better world. Do you believe that? I don't know if you do. Do you believe that his world that he's going to create is better than the one you're in now? Or are you so afraid of the unknown or afraid you're going to get swindled that you hold even tighter to your stuff? Some of you are going to die instantly when your life comes to an end. I think the stats are, the actuarial stats are one in six people die like boom, and all of a sudden you're gone. Heart attack or a massive stroke, aneurysm, something blows up inside your body and, and you're out. Or an automobile or a train or plane accident or something really horrible happens or or you're killed in wartime, all of a sudden a bullet goes right underneath the chin strap of your helmet and gets past the defenses and you're killed instantly. But the other five-sixths of us are going to be conscious and aware of it. Are you scared or are you joyfully anticipating? Do you trust that God has something better than the world you're living in now? Or are you like Lot's wife, looking backward all the time? And Jesus says, don't worry. If you look backwards, you will worry, but look forward. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's my world. I don't want to come and live in your world anymore. I want you to come and live in my world. I'll come back and take you to be, and what makes this so worthwhile? Take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Have you noticed that in this whole paragraph, there's only a couple of words with more than one syllable? Tiny little simple one-syllable words, so clear, but so game-changing in the way you think about your life. And I want, I want to lay this out for you as well. Grab onto this. He wants you to feel the same. Don't worry. Be happy. And he's got a reason for that. Don't worry because I got this. I'm holding you in my hands because I'm sovereign over all the universe. And like I told you two weeks ago, I'm the glue. I am the glue of your life. Don't make money the glue of your life or your big old fat ego the goal of your life, holding everything together. No, let me 
be the glue of your life. And let me guarantee your future so that you don't have to be afraid of anything. You're immortal connected to me. Thomas says, and you know his nickname, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? That wasn't his finest moment. I bet he wishes he could have rethought that. You know how we blurt things and then think, well, I was dumb. Do you think Thomas knew that his blurted foolish question was going to be written in the Holy Bible for millions and millions of Christians to read and think, Thomas, you're an idiot? Oh, well, there it is. He's only saying what you have thought and felt. I have no idea, Lord, what you're doing in my life. I'm so confused. I sure hope you think this is better. Why are you letting me be squeezed like this? Why am I heading into bankruptcy court? Why am I being foreclosed on? Why is my landlord evicting me? Why did I just get fired? How could my kids do this to me? Why does my mother hate me so? My dad never once hugged me. Doesn't he like me? Does he think I'm worthless? Maybe he's right. Maybe I am worthless. What load is on your heart right now? You can let go of it and let go of your worry and be happy. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. There are not many, many ways. There's just me. Everything else is a dead end and you'll end up in hell. I am the truth. I am the truth. There is objective truth outside of us. The world, the stupid, crazy world we have to live in thinks there are hundreds and thousands and millions of truths, all equally irrelevant to other people, only meaningful to you. That's the curse of living in the 2020s. Ignore it. Let Jesus be your truth and let his word fill up your heart and mind, and then you won't worry because you'll know you're in his hands. You'll know that your forgiveness has been bought and paid for. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here you got to embrace another paradox. Are you ready? Is the message of Scripture, of what Jesus brought for people, is it inclusive or exclusive? Yes, is the answer. It is both. Grace is inclusive. Christ bought forgiveness for all. This is your message to share with the world. Don't lay the rules of Christian living on people first. That's the big hang-up. That's what makes people so prejudiced against Christians today, is they just think, I don't want to have you lay the rules of your cult on me. Get lost. I'll make up my own value system, my own ethics, my own morals. That's the world you live in. Those are the college classrooms uh, in their uh, philosophy and ethics. That's what you're going to be hearing. That's the mood in the workplace where you're at. Don't judge anybody else. Everybody's truth is his or her own truth. And I'm, I can't even use those pronouns anymore. His, her, their, z, zem, zay, or whatever else, or none of the above. You know, people who are non-aligned. They don't want to have to be limited to a gender. They're, they're like gender fluid. Uh, he one day, she the next, and they... The rest of the time. Jesus said, I am the life. Through me, you will live forever. In other words, it is inclusive in that the blood of Christ was shed for all, but it is exclusive in that only those who believe have it. Don't ch 
cheat on either one of those. Hug them both. Put one arm around one and one arm around the other. It's simply put, it's grace and faith. And they're both vitally true. This will inform the messaging that you bring to the other lost fools in your life. Tell them the inclusive message first. And then tell them this is your one shot. There are not many ways to heaven. There's just the one. Grab it and live. Run to Jesus. Fall into Jesus' arms. Cry to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. And live. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.